Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And I am going to play a rebroadcast of last Wednesday's show, which features Amina Elster's Family Unity Project Program Coordinator for Legal Services for Prisoners with Children, who is going to be speaking about AMI Mother 2. And I want to let you know that everything you hear about today in the rebroadcast is not happening next week. It's happening this week or the week after. Um, so AMI Mother 2 is May 10th, this Friday from 6 to 8 at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center, looking at the effects of homelessness on mothers' ability to have their children, particularly mothers that are justice system impacted. Uh, Lindsay uh, Crumbin, uh, Executive Director of Gritty City Rep Youth Theater, is going to be speaking about the Taming of the Shrew with um, uh, Nyjah uh, Waterman, who is a junior at Envision Academy, and uh, she is a Gritty City Rep um, uh, company member. And she's going to be playing Licencia and Gritty City uh, Youth Theater's production of The Taming of the Shrew is May 16th through 25th at the Flight Deck, downtown Oakland. And Jason Mendez's uh, wonderful work, Supremacy, at the Exit Theater opened last week, May 3rd, and it continues through next weekend, the Exit in San Francisco on Eddie. And then Lisa, um, God, you say Lisa's last name. <laughs> um, I think she's going to pronounce it for you. But anyway, Lisa is a comedy um, program organizer, and she has organized, um, this is like an annual event, um, this Thursday, tomorrow, May 9th, she's having um, for the installation of comedy at Ashkenaz uh, Music and Dance Center located on San Pablo at Gilman in Berkeley, a Mother's Day comedy show, which is going to be simply awesome. It's featuring Diane Amos, uh, Karina Dobbins, Emily Van Dyke, and Brandy Brandis. And, um, and, of course, Lisa, who is not a mother, but she's like the de facto Jewish mother. So that's tomorrow, and uh, it's a show that's uh, recommended for kids under, not recommended for kids under 16. So I just wanted to give you that heads up. Also, I want to let people know that uh, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. And um, this uh, at MOAD, the Museum of the African Diaspora, a wonderful show is opening today. It's entitled Coffee, Rum, Sugar, and Gold, A Post-Colonial Paradox, and it's up today, May 8th through August 11th. Don't want to miss that. And then at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, there's a whole lot of stuff happening, some really great theater and dance, plus a fabulous art show. So you don't want to miss any of that because some of that is happening this weekend only. And for those that want to see Elisa Garza uh, speak this Saturday, it's sold out, but there's going to be a Facebook Live um, iteration of this. So you can go to the website, which I do not have in front of me. Ah, um, I guess I could look it up for you since I did mention it. Let me see if I can find it quickly. And then I'm going to play this uh, this show. Let me see if I can find this really quickly. Um, <laughs> maybe I should play some music and then come back. <laughs> ah. Yeah, here I'll play a little bit of um, Avery Sharp's Bone Free. 
uh, Ain't I a Woman. So I'll play a little bit of that, um, and and then I'll be right back. Oh, Ramadan, we're back to everyone who is fasting. I hope it's going well for you. We've had some warm days and some not-so-warm days. But um, anyway, uh, this particular uh, piece from the um, Ain't I a Woman suite and play is called... Um, um, hmm. I'm thinking, I'm playing for my people. Um, I'm going to play um, The Way Home. I haven't listened to this in so long. Okay, I found it, and uh, it is uh, Paul Flores. Oh, man, don't tell me I just lost it again. (laughs) Oh, no, I think I just lost it again. Um, Yeah, it's uh, Paul Flores and and two other folks, and uh, and I'm going to find it again for you while I'm going to send it for the arts.org. I guess you could have looked it up as well. Um and anyway, it's uh it's going to be looking at um 
sort of uh, the Cuban diaspora. It's called, um, well, there's the art show there. It's called We Are Here, um, Suzanne Lacey, and that's up through August. Um, but we have Irie is the name of the uh, the piece. Um, I think Paul Flores might have written it. And, um, yeah, he did. And it's uh, May 10th through 12th, which is Friday through Sunday. And it's a multidisciplinary theater work by uh, the award-winning poet, performance artist, and playwright Paul S. Flores. And we have Ari explored the true stories of Afro-Cuban immigrants living in the United States as well as their influences on and experiences in, with American culture. So you can read uh, more about it at ybca.org. And, um, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really awesome. And what else is happening? Um, it's going to feature... Um, uh, um, Yos, well, Yosvani uh, Terry is a part of it. Uh, Rosaba Ramon, Ramon Ramos Alayo, DJ Latus Lightus, and uh, Eli Jacobs Fantausi. And so it's going to be really, really awesome. And so you don't want to miss that. And I think that might. Oh, oh, and then there's this wonderful um, uh, F213 exhibit. It's closing this weekend. And there is an artist talk uh, panel discussion. When is that? Yeah, there's a panel discussion on Saturday, May 11th from 1 to 3. Um, yeah, with uh, Lenore Chen, Nancy Aham, Patricia Montgomery, Judy uh, Shantani, and Colette Standish. And uh, that is at the uh, National Council. Is it National Council? Um, <laughs> I think it might be National. Let me see. Uh, anyway, um, looking for the acronym National. Oh, I can't find it. Oh well. So I'll just give you the acronym. So um, this particular um, it's at the uh, the NCWCA National Curatorial Ex- Exhibition. Uh, it's at uh, Arc. Gallery, A-C-A-R-C Gallery, 1246 Folsom Street, and it's only up through um, through May 11th, and it's open today through Saturday. Um, so, yeah, so you don't want to miss that exhibit either. All righty, so now without further ado, I'm going to play uh, this uh, interview that... Um, that this I'm waiting for you. Ah, I am like getting all tongue twisted. I can't rebroadcast the May first show. So enjoy. Thank you. 
Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program with the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Sweet Honey and the Rock singing Motherless Child. And, um, yeah, we are joined by Amina Elster's um, Family Unity Project Program Coordinator for uh, Legal Services of Prisons with Children. Good morning, Amina. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. And yourself? I'm great. I'm great. I'm so happy you could join us and you can multitask <laughs> presently. <laughs> That's like pretty amazing. Like you're in your commute and you are talking to us and I'm so excited. Um, yeah, you're going to be joining us. This, you're joining us this morning to talk about Ain't I a Mother Too, a uh, wonderful program that you are, you know, sort of the lead on. Uh, it's going to be May 10th, which is next week from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center, 388 9th Street in Oakland. And you are the mother of one child and a survivor of domestic and state violence. You're released from California Department of Corrections in 2017 uh, after serving a life sentence for surviving abuse. In prison, you earned two associate's degrees, liberal arts and humanities and science and math, as well as your paralegal certificate with a focus on family law and civil litigation. Uh, and presently, you're a student at UC Berkeley, right? Yes. Yeah, working on your, your BA degree, the first step probably in a uh, a multiple <laughs> a multiple right. pronged um, academic you know course. Are you going to get your your law degree? No, I'm interested in masking and public policy. Oh, nice. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. And you facilitate numerous programs for your peers, including class on domestic violence, self-esteem, and codependency. Um, and you maintain your connection with legal services of prisons with children um, from within the women's prison 
and soon became involved with the California Coalition for Women Prisoners, survived and punished, and all of us are none. Uh, you continue to serve as an agent for change and advocate to free incarcerated survivors and to be the voice for those unjustly impacted by a criminal justice system or injustice system. And you are uh, a legal services of prisons with children, 2018 Elder Freeman Policy Fellow. And um, uh, I wanted you to talk to us about Ain't I a Mother too, um, looking at how a mother without housing is a mother without her child. Um, and, uh, yeah, tell us about, about this program that, you know, that you are spearheading your idea, I think, and, uh, and what's going to happen that day uh, next week. Okay, so Anna Mother 2 uh, came came to fruition through, um, collectively through um, organizations that really help, that, that they serve to help formerly incarcerated women of color. And the whole premise of this event is to highlight the fact that um, women of color are losing their parental rights for life because they can't access housing. So it is, um, it's a common thread of our history that, you know, women and black women particularly um, have never really had agency over their own bodies. And we've been fighting um, for since, for, for the, as long as um, we've been in the United States to be able to um, care for and parent our own children. And um, since the, here in the Bay Area, um, since the tech boom, um, a lot of these tech, tech companies have been blamed for um, gentrification and the um, rising cost of, um, of rent, pushing black folks out um, into the outskirts. Um, and we really want to bring it to their awareness that family separation is happening right here in the Bay Area um, by showing how many women of color are losing their parental rights due to the strict guidelines of the families, um, say families, um, act that Hillary Clinton, um, you know, introduced, and also um, the different barriers um, women who are formerly incarcerated face, not only in getting access to housing um, and jobs, um, on top of there being not being enough affordable housing for them to reunify their children. So on Friday, we hope to, you know, have a have a discussion um, and engage folks from the tech industry. Um, women that have been directly impacted, and also um, community organizations who uh, support these women um, and, and hopefully come, come, come together with some kind of um, equitable um, solution to this problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So who are, um, who are some of your, your partners that are going to be um, um, at the program, you know, that are supporting uh, mothers' reentry and um, and and the reunification of of women with their children uh, once they have housing. Definitely. So we have um, a time for change. We have a root and rebound, uh, a safe return, um, the California Coalition for Women's Prisoners, East Bay Family Defenders, the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. Mm -hmm. Um, and East Bay, uh, East Bay Forward, and you, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was wondering um, if you could tell us more about um, sort of, I mean, um, you mentioned uh, Hillary Clinton's um, 
Safe Family Act um, as as a barrier to um, women being able to have housing. Um, in the Bay Area, there's a lot of building happening, but a lot of that new construction is not affordable. So, what 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 is some of your um, like? What would you like to to happen? Like, what would be some of the takeaways? I know that um, the tech companies who are buying up a lot of a lot of parcels of land and taking over communities and becoming their own little city states. Um, they're they're being um, invited to participate uh, to see, I guess, the impact of of their um, their occupation on on community, maybe communities right. that they're not aware of. Right. Right. So the whole goal is to um, we're all innovators, social technical innovators, and um, the goal is to um, hopefully like be able to sit down and have a honest dialogue and um, try to plan, whether it be um, helping to um, design or or establish a community um, building where formerly incarcerated women could reside for a period of time that would allow them to um, commit their, I mean, um, complete their um, commitment with the court re regarding um, reunification with their children um, because having stable, safe, um, housing is number one in order to get your children back. And if you don't have that, then you're not getting your children back. Mm -hmm. So housing is just the one prong of, of one prong of the problem. The other issue is, um, like I said, the um, Safe Families Act. The Safe Families Act essentially um, gave states the opportunity the, the opportunity to take folks' parental rights if they have been absent from their child's life. 15, um, 15 months out of a 22-month period. So if a mother goes to prison for um, a, a year or, or a year and a half, the, the clock is ticking, and it doesn't stop once you've been released. So once you've been released, you still, are, you still have to hurry up and, um, you know, get housing, um, um, fulfill your commitments to the court in order to get your children back. And because there is no housing, the clock runs out on many women, which um, forces them to lose their children. They become um, wards of the state and um, in foster care and ultimately adopted out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's 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 that's. And there's, there are a lot of a lot of children that that's happening to, right? Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading. Um, people can get tickets. Uh, it's a free event, but you can yeah. register um, at Eventbrite. And I was reading um, on that site that um, there are over 28,000 children currently waiting for reunification with their mothers um, because um, these um, women can't find or sustain housing before, you know, and so, I mean, that makes sense, you know, that we don't want the children to be, you know, um, unhoused, but you know, that's that still, that seems like that should be like a really small thing to fix. However, it's not. I mean, right. housing is, you know, is a real barrier because there's something, I mean, you know, we look around like, oh, my God, we're stepping over people as we walk down the sidewalk. It's, it's crazy. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So 
we don't want to um, assume that folks are aware of this problem, um, even aware that it's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we um, put this um, symposium together is to bring awareness, um, bring awareness. So you can't unknow what you know <laughs> once you know it. And um, <laughs> right, right, yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. Will there be an opportunity for people who are um, concerned and to to actually plug in and, and get involved? Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. We can use all the all the support and help um, we we need because this is definitely um, this is definitely a huge issue, and um, it's about time that we um, work towards um, having some kind of um, agency as women of color mm-hmm. over our lives and our, our motherhood and um, being able to raise our children and take care of our children and um, without um, any other outside interference. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I was reading also um, on the event, right, um, that, um, that presently, um, uh, you know, with the extreme shortage of low-income housing, um, that there are only 34 units per every 100 people in need. Wow. And and we have a... Um, we're we're kind of densely populated here in in the Bay Area, right? Yeah, I mean there there are a lot of people and 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 you know like wow, I mean there's there's the housing does not necessarily reflect um, the need. I was I was um, watching um, the uh, Zoom uh, a recent forum at Golden Gate University looking at. Um, uh, sort of the state, um, there's some, there's some, um, uh, there's some bills currently uh, being um, promoted, or, or uh, I guess, what do you call it? What's the language when when you have a bill and it's not, it hasn't been voted? Introduce the legend. Yeah, introduce yeah, the Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, around around housing needs. Um, I asked the question about, you know, you know, what about mothers who are formerly incarcerated, but they didn't see my question. So it didn't get answered, um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, the municipalities can't necessarily solve this problem alone. It's they need the federal uh, uh, involvement, and with the current administration, the federal government is not involved. So that's why the problem is as big as it is in the Bay Area and also throughout the country because people are like not housed elsewhere too. Right. There's just so many different um, populations of folks that are in need of housing um, mm-hmm. that it's it's kind of like it's it's become like a a, a rat race, and um, it was difficult to really um, because housing is essential. I mean, housing should be a it's a, a human right. It is, and um, all you know, all folks should be able to access um, affordable state housing that. Um, and there's a shortage, so I just I'm just really hopeful that um, we could highlight this population of folks mm-hmm. um, because um, being a mother, um, raising a family is also like a, a right. It is a right. You have a right to raise a family. You have a right to have a family, and um, you have a right to access like and uh, safe housing as well. So mm-hmm. I feel like this this is a very important um, and um, urgent 
issue that we have to um, bring awareness to and hopefully try to um, implement some kind of um, some change around it so that um, mothers uh, could be able to continue to be mothers and children could um, continue to be in a, be in a, be with their with their family and other siblings and not be torn away and separated and um, divided um, further um, decimating African American communities. Right. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you you know when you were um, incarcerated, you um, you had you have a son, and um, and then you returned, and um, I was wondering um, did this housing, um, uh, well, the, the fact that there is not enough housing, did that impact you at all when you came back home? And and also wanted you maybe to tie that in with the whole idea of family unity project. I'm sure there's overlap. Um, okay, so definitely. When I went to prison, my son was two years old, mm -hmm. and um, because of my um, tumultuous relationship with my mother, she um, did not allow me to um, have have communication with my son. Therefore, um, for the 15 years that I was in prison, I wasn't allowed to um, establish a relationship or reunify with my son, although I petitioned the court for visitation. But the fact that I was a prisoner, um, my rights and my um, human status was relegated to the form of prisoner. Um, so I, did, I really didn't have um, any kind of... Uh, when it came to court, the judge, um, my last court date when I was in prison, the judge basically stated that my son would be 18 soon, and at that time he can make a decision on whether or not he wanted to see me or not. Shortly after that court date, I was paroled, and um, at this time my son was now 17 and on his way to college. So being on parole, I paroled to a, a, a transitional home. Um, so I, I was not able to have my son with me. Um, and my son was still um, at home with my mother at the time. But due to the fact that he um, was on his way to college, he's currently a freshman at Morehouse in Atlanta, mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about finding a home um, to house he and I mm -hmm. because he's um, away at college and older. Um, on top of that, too, I have been absent from his life for, for many, many years, and I would not have taken him from the only house and the only mother that he'd ever known, despite my relationship with my mother, um, without first establishing a relationship where he and I were comfortable with one another, mm -hmm. and um, we're currently still working to um, to mend our relationship. It's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And what about um, you know some of the other women who are coming home or women that are about to come home? Um, who maybe might have lost their children to um, adoption, because um, that happens so frequently, and the women don't often know what, what they're signing or what's happening, because there's no, I heard that the process is so quickly, like quick, particularly for the younger children, like if a child is like an infant or under a certain age, they can be adopted out, and the mother is not going to prison, she might just be in jail, and she might be getting out really soon. But because of these these laws or or ways of adjudicating certain kinds of of conditions, women are losing their children like so quickly. And when you get your child is adopted out, that means your child is gone, right? 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's no recourse after that. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have um, um, attorney from um, East Bay Family Defenders who will present on the mm-hmm. obstacles that um, mothers face in in this process, and the fact that um, families first ask. Um, well, initiate on the federal level, but and they will discuss how California took it a step further. Um, and basically, um, they're not even California isn't focused on reunification. They are more focused on adopting children out, which is why it moves so it moves so quickly, right? And um, yeah, a lot of parents are not notified that they have a court date. They are not notified that um, or informed that in order for them to get an attorney, um, they have to request one. So there's a lot of um, unknowns, and what we do at Legal Services Prisoners and Children is we get a lot of prisoner mail regarding um, family custody, um, um, guardianship issues. Is we kind of we give them the tools that they need in order to advocate for themselves um, in the family um, dependency or juvenile court um, court court um, structures when it pertains to their children. Um, because oftentimes they are not aware of what their options, what their rights, um, and what their rights are, whether it be being transferred to the court, um, if they are in jeopardy of losing their parental rights, or how to give guardianship to a family member um, in order to not have their children wind up in, in foster care um, and ultimately being adopted out. But once the child is adopted out, um, the doors are closed until that child is 18 and um, hopefully decide to seek out their birth parents. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's really terrible. Um, and so um, it sounds, it almost seems like we're going backwards as a, as a society, doesn't it? Yes, definitely. Hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, and sort of thinking about the whole idea of of, of taking children from their parents, it's, it, it's sort of, it's a, um, it's a negative or it's a real, traumatic deja vu moment for those of us of African descent, right? I mean Correct. Katrina yeah. was a Katrina was one thing and then now it's like it's continuing and um and then um you know we look at what's happening to um you know immigrant parents. Um, you know, their right. children being snatched and then sent out into the world and they don't speak. And so how are you gonna reunite a child with the parent and the child doesn't have language? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really. Um. Crazy. Um. And you wonder, you know, to what end? Why is this? Is it, you know, is it to to produce more free labor? Um. Because what are the statistics around around the um uh the children's success and and you know and and the and you know and and um well being when they're separated from their parents. Um, particularly children that have had an opportunity to bond with their parents, like your son, you know, at two, and then you're gone. Right. So I don't know the exact statistic, the statistical number, but I do know that it is it is poor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these children wind up um, in back in in um, from the custody state involvement to. Um, you know, later juvenile um, juvenile courts. Um, it's really um, it really causes like mental distress for children, um, children and mothers, um, fathers as well. 
So there's a lot of damage in that's good. And foster homes, there's a lot of um, reports of abuse in foster homes. Right. That further traumatizes children. Yeah, that that is so true. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Well, this congratulations. You know, I'm pulling together this really wonderful program. Um, um. So, um, tell us again, sort of like, um, I know they're going to be, um, mothers are going to be giving um some personal stories so we can actually hear from them about um what happened and and I think the perspective is going to be from the point of view of children as well, right? That lost. Um, mothers yeah. to the system, or or they yeah. were adopted out and things like that. Yes, or currently um, struggle going through going through the system right now mm. and the various hurdles that they have to go through in order to get their children back. Um, just highlighting how difficult how difficult um, how difficult it is, um, and like exactly what does it look like? What does it look like for a mother to be trying to fight to retain custody of their children against all of these odds that formerly incarcerated women of color face? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. So once again, I want to let the audience know that I'm speaking to um, Amina Esther, Elster uh, about Ain't I a Mother too? A Mother Without Housing is a Mother Without Her Child. Um, uh, tech in tech sector innovate don't eliminate our motherhood and again that's um, May 10th um, next week 6 to 8 p.m. at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center 388 9th Street in Oakland and it is a free event and for people who want to find out more um, uh, give them the website so they can stay in touch and, and maybe get on the mailing list sure the website is PrisonersWithChildren.com. Mhm. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, <laughs> <All> <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Oh, you're quite okay. welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, did we touch everything? Yes, I believe we did. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, good. Congratulations. Look forward to seeing you at our planning meeting this week. <laughs> yep. See you then. All righty. You take good care. Have a good rest of the morning. You too. Bye bye. So while we wait for our next guest to join us, um, we are going to um, (laughs) yeah, we're gonna play um, uh, Odetta um, singing uh, the same song, Um, and Odetta, you know, she needs no introduction. Um, but it's another another take on uh, sometimes I feel like I'm up with this child.
Well, that was Odetta singing um, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. And, um, yeah, we're sort of doing like a pre-Mother's Day kind of conversation here. Um, um, yeah, and talking about women, um, we are joined in the studio. Uh, is that you, Lindsay? Or is it... Um, uh, um, Trying to pronounce your name. Your last name is uh, Waterman. Oh yes, it's Nigia. Nigia, thanks, Nigia. I didn't want to kill your name. Okay, so you are <laughs> proceeding, uh, Lindsay and Nigia. Not uh, say it again. Nigia. Nigia. Okay, Nigia. Nigia is um, Waterman is is joining us to talk about um, gritty city rep. Youth Theater's uh, production of Taming of the Shrew is coming up in uh, a couple of weeks, uh, May 16th through 25th at the Flight Deck. And, um, and gosh, I get, I'm getting really confused. I'm just going to call you Miss Waterman. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Miss Waterman is a junior at Envision Academy, a charter school in downtown Oakland. And this is your fourth show with Gritty yes. City Rep. And you've been performing with Gritty City for two years. Wow, you've been busy. Yes. Four shows in two yes. years. Wow. And you're playing uh, Lucentia in this production, yes. and I think that might be uh, Lindsay now. So thank you so much yes. for joining us, Miss Waterman. Um, Lindsay, is that you? Yes, hello. Hmm? How are you? Hi, good morning. You get the kids off? Good morning. I did indeed. <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. So, Happy May Day for both of you, um, International Women's Workers Day, and also the, um, according to, um, I was looking at my um, my uh, astronomy um, uh, notification for today, <laughs> 
And I was learning about, and I don't know if either of you are old enough, but when I was a kid, we actually danced around a maypole on May Day. We got dressed up and we we decorated the maypole with flowers and we danced around and sang songs. Uh, do oh, any of you all have those kind that. of memories? My mom did oh, that mom? in the Midwest. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Miss uh, Waterman? Uh, are you dancing around a maypole this, this today, anytime, this morning, afternoon? Or um, no, I've never heard of that tradition before. <laughs> oh, darn. I feel so blessed that I have that memory. Like, <laughs> going, you know, we did it at John McLean Elementary School in San Francisco. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, all of my five years there. I don't remember doing it in sixth grade when I moved to um, Visitation Valley, but I do remember it in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And and it's really interesting that um, also as a part of that tradition, people would give flowers to their neighbors, like put flowers in baskets and like give it to their neighbors. Is that cool? That's yeah, a beautiful amazing. tradition. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I don't know if that's happening um, uh, in, in, in this play. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's getting any flowers delivered. <laughs> no, not, um, so far. That was, <laughs> not so far. Not so far. So, Lindsay, um, how do you pronounce your last name, Lindsay? It's been a minute since I've called it. Crumbine. Crumbine. Yeah, and you're the founder yeah. and executive director of Gritty City Rep um, Youth Theater, and if I'm not uh, mistaken, this is a reprise, because haven't you done Taming of the Shrew? We haven't, actually. This is my first time oh. directing it. We've done Tempest. Oh, wow. We've done Midsummer. We've done a number of Shakespeare's, but not this one. And I've never oh, okay. directed it before. Oh, how fun. How fun. So tell our audience the story. I'm sure they know the name, and, and they know Shrew is not a nice thing to call a woman. <laughs> it certainly is um, not. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, I don't know if they if they remember. So, why don't, you know, between the two of you, why don't you go back and forth and tell us the story? Um, yeah, what is this story, and what's your twist yeah, on it? So where is it set? Is it set here in Oakland? <laughs> well, so I'll, we'll. How about we give you? It's not an adaptation, but it's definitely specifically set in terms of period and. Setting. So we'll give you our version, which is, of course, all in Shakespeare's language, but, you know, particular to the way we set it culturally and, and location-wise and time period. So, so we're in Manhattan uh, in the present time, and uh, Baptista Manola is a rich Nigerian man living in Manhattan. He has two daughters, and mm. the older is Kate, Catherine, and the younger is Bianca, and... They're both beautiful, but Catherine is very outspoken, proud, knows who she is, and is not particularly interested in marriage, especially with any of the lame men that, that her father keeps sending her away. Whereas her younger sister, Bianca, is very popular, much more the pretty, pretty, demure sort of Barbie doll sister who all the men seem to want, but uh, Baptista won't let Bianca get married until he marries off her older sister, Catherine. So that's where mm -hmm. we open. Nigel, you want to take it from there for a minute? 
Um, yeah, let me explain my character a bit. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, um, my character is Lucentia, and I went to Manhattan with my servant, Chanya, to go to school and study, but I saw Bianca and ended up falling in love. So Chanya and I switch positions so I can end up falling in love with Bianca, and we go through, like, this crazy adventure for me to end (laughs) up finally marrying her, for me just to get caught by my father at the end of it. Yeah, so so uh, her servant Chania is gonna sort of walk around town in the in the fancy mistress clothes, and pretend to be Lucentia and sort of also feel out the father Baptista to see you know is he down with gay marriage? Can a woman be a suitor for Bianca? And uh, Baptista is <laughs> more worried about money than anything else, so he's a little. He's a little uncertain at first, but when he hears who uh, Lucentia's father is, which is this super rich guy, Vincentio, from San Francisco, he's he's like, (laughs) all right, whatever, let's go for it. And uh, then Nigel, as as Lucentia, pretends to be this tutor, and so she can sort of go in on the sly and – you know, say words of love to Bianca while pretending to tutor her in Latin and Greek and all of that. And then there's some other characters who also want Bianca, and there's antics around that. You know, people, there's a lot of identity switching and mm. dressing up as someone else to fool the, you know, the dads, the rich folks. And, you know, as we were, as we were casting it, we have a lot of strong women in our ensemble so you know I'm looking Mm -hmm. at the roles and I'm thinking about how to cast it and you know a lot of times people will people will cast the uh, a Shakespeare you know what they call colorblind as in you know Mm -hmm. any race but not actually a dress race or Mm -hmm. you know switch genders but have women play men Sometimes men play mm-hmm. women, but not often in, in this day and time. But I feel like it's way more interesting to actually have people play themselves. So right. so instead of colorblind casting, it's like if it's a black actor, it's a black character. And what, oh, what does that actually mean? And let's build that out instead of sort of ignoring it or disappearing it. And by mm-hmm. the same token, if it's a – if it's a queer female actor, let's make it a queer female character. And what does that mean? And how does that work with the play? So that's the direction that that we like to go with Shakespeare. And I think it actually makes mm-hmm. the play far more rich and a different mm-hmm. take than hopefully folks have seen her Taming in the Shrew. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Before I want to talk about that, um, you know, sort of not ignoring – um, the specifics of the actor or actress, um, you know, what what the person brings to the characterization, like not ignoring that as if it doesn't exist when everyone is, like, noticing it <laughs> in the audience. Nadja, you want to take that one? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear the question. Something happened. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering if you if you could um, talk about you know what Lindsay just said about um, how a gritty city 
does not ignore um, what the actor brings to the character, like your cultural um, specific contribution is incorporated into the characterization as opposed to, you know, when we talk about blind casting, it's so interesting that you would mention that, Lindsay, because I was just reading the historic speech um, that um, August Wilson gave in 1996, and in that particular speech to Princeton, um, he, he talks about how, you know, no, we're not into this blind casting stuff. Like, no. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, what yeah. What makes people um, invisible, it, like, perpetuates yeah. this, this, lack of, this lack of diversity on stage and acts as if somehow, like, putting actors of color into white, like, traditionally white roles or roles that were written, you know, by Eurocentric writers and intended for white actors is somehow like progress, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think it is at all. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So Miss Waterman, what do you think about that? And you know, obviously, um, there must be something about Gritty City uh, Youth Theater that has you coming back <laughs> year after year, you know, and performing. So yeah, talk about this, this, um, you know, being able to bring yourself all of yourself to the role and have that, you know, enrich the character as opposed to have to, like, pretend that it doesn't exist. Right. I I think it is a very, um, what's the word? Uh, I feel like it shouldn't be ignored because if, as a black female, if I'm, like, trying to portray a white female on stage, it would be like kind of distracting to the audience instead of just making me like a black character do like um and I'm sorry I need to think about it real, like for a second well no so Nija you know we decided like so you're playing we made Lucentio Lucentia and oh, and oh you're right why can't the character just be a gay woman like a gay black right. woman, and what? Right. Why not? And actually, what does that add to the role? And so, as an actor, getting having the director make that choice, and then getting to play it that way. So, what is that like for you? And and what do you think about that sort of concept? And what's the experience been like? Oh, okay, okay. Um, I was ecstatic when Lindsay came to me um, and told me that I'll be playing a gay character because um, before I've played like a strict character in Gritty City and I'm myself, I'm gay. So I was just feeling like this is like the role for me, like I needed this for like the gay community or whatever because there's not a lot of plays that have queer colored people in their shows, and I think it's good to expose the audience to different things like this, so hopefully later on it won't be such a taboo thing. It'll be like just a normal play, like every other play, and I think more plays should be a little bit more diverse with their um, actors and actresses and how they portray their characters. Um, yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I was wondering, um, uh, Lindsay, if you um, you both, um, since you know you're um, 
you've been performing with the company for a while, um, Nadia, um, if you could both speak about sort of the the, the undergirding uh, philosophy of, of the theater, Gritty City um, Rep Youth Theater, um, you know, sort of the way you approach um, theater. I mean, you do original work as well as, you know, quote, the classics. Um, but you, your take on them, as you mentioned, as we're speaking, is is not a traditional take on it. And, and does it have anything to do with uh, being um, uh, a Bay Area, Oakland-based theater, um, you know, at the flight deck, you know, right downtown Oakland, 1540 Broadway, and, and you know, working with young people that are, a lot of them are in the public school system and, um, and a lot in these particular plays that, Gritty City has been known for actually through this art tells stories of these youth that maybe other people don't even know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that um, uh, a huge part of our philosophy is around access and mm. and a lot of different aspects of access. You know, we, we talk about that a lot as a buzzword, but I think and oftentimes we mean money, um, but I think access is about a lot more than money. You know, I think for a lot of folks, live theater has not felt accessible, whether as performers or as audience members. Yes, partly because of money. Conservatory programs tend to be insanely expensive, theater camps, all that stuff, and then as well as theater tickets. But beyond that, you know, if you're a person of color and you're walking into a theater and you're, like, one of the only people of color, right? So what is that like? How, does this feel like, hey, this is for me, I'm part of this community? If you're a person of color or especially a young person of color and you walk into a theater and the way you're looked at or treated at the box office or in the lobby is as if, uh-oh, maybe you're a problem. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've brought groups to the theater and <laughs> we've gotten just this vibe. Like, yeah. <laughs> like baby on an airplane, you know? And it's ridiculous. And I want to turn and say, mm. yeah, this is a group of actors. But it's like the assumptions that are made by other audience members. And then they're going to sit down and watch an August Wilson play. You know, so it's this, I feel like we're, we don't acknowledge the degree to which we still live in this, like, shuck and jive era. Let's see black bodies up on stage, but not sitting next to me while we're watching. So, right. I mean, really and truly, it's, it's right? It's a thing. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of white liberals in the Bay Area don't want to acknowledge that. So, you know, when you come into a show at the flight deck at to one of our shows, the vibe is very welcoming. It's very warm. You are greeted. Everyone is made to feel welcome. When the show is over, the actors come out and shake hands and talk, and it's loud and friendly and personal. And I think we we get about 20% of our audience is is seeing their first live show when they come to Green mm. City. So, you know, we're trying to really make theater something for 
a much more diverse community of folks, regardless of race, economics, you know, experience with the theater, um, both by putting much more diverse stories and communities on stage, as well as like in the audience and the whole vibe. I mean, so does it feel mm. like that to you, Nida, in terms of like rehearsal and then performance and audience? What do you think? Um, I mean, why do you stay and keep coming back? Uh, I stay because um, I just love Diddy City. The vibes are always super positive, whether it's with Lindsay, with um, my ensemble, with the um, audiences. It's just super positive, and we get great feedback from the audience. And I really do feel like we are diverse, and they, when we're in the theater, they don't really have – they don't really notice that we're colored and like the aspect of like what Lizzie was saying earlier, when we go to see a play, it's like all they notice is that we're a large group of colored people. And I just love Beauty City because they make me feel welcome and important and heard. And I'm, I just always have everything positive to say about Beauty City and what Lindsay does for us all the time. Well, and you guys work your butts off. I mean, these these young yeah. actors train hard. You know, they yeah. come after school, they hustle, they sweat, they work. I mean, the growth is just phenomenal, right? So it's like mm-hmm. it's like there's an opportunity there, but these are young people who have a lot of other stuff going on with school, mm-hmm. work, you know, all kinds of other programs and are really taking advantage of an opportunity and investing in this company with their sweat equity, you know, so it really feels like a, a very collaborative operation for me. I mean, I certainly, it's certainly my bliss and I get, you know, to geek out on all my artistic affinities and, <laughs> and really feel blessed <laughs> to have this as my job, you know. Mm-hmm. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, right, right. So tell our audience um, about, you know, the venue and how to get tickets and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So our website is grittycityreps.com. Dot org. It's G-R-I-T-T-Y-C-I-T-Y-R-E-P dot org. And you can also just Google Gritty City Rep and you'll find it easily. We're right in the heart of downtown Oakland, uh, 12th Street BART, 19th Street BART, really easy to get to. We're, um, we're on Broadway pretty much across from City Hall right there where Telegraph splits off, so 1540 Broadway. Uh, we do deep discounts. So we do charge for our tickets, but the policy is no one turned away for lack of funds. So, you know, we sell everything from $5 tickets to $50 tickets because Mm -hmm. we want butts and seats and we want folks to, you know, come in the door and check it out. So, you know, it's going to be a hilarious show. We've got all sorts of tango dancing. We've got wild comedy we've got some really experienced actors who have been in you know four five six shows with us we've got a few brand new actors who are in their first time on stage it's really something for everyone we've got gorgeous nigerian costumes that are literally like 
handmade and and shipped from Nigeria, like custom Nigerian wedding dresses. I mean, you, we got great production values. You know, it's mm. it's really not. A lot of times when people hear youth theater, they're thinking of like little kids or they're thinking of like a talent show and they're going to say, oh, how sweet. But it's not that. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's, you will forget that you are watching youth when you see the show. They really yeah, uh, that's true. step up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, well, you, yeah. Saw, yeah. you saw Caught Up, mm-hmm. right, Wanda? Right, exactly. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. You, um, really, really professional um, production. Oh, I thought it was excellent. Um, yeah, I just thought it was just, oh, my God, so much talent. I mean, and just so many mediums, like people were singing, people were dancing. Um, it was, yeah, and, you know, you think about the topic, um, you know, someone getting caught up, you know, in the criminal justice system and then um, and then being incarcerated then coming back home and trying to, you know, get his footing um yeah, just those stories were like riveting, and uh, it was really, really, Wonderful. really beautiful. Very well done. Did you all bring home awards for that one? <laughs> <laughs> no, no awards, no awards. Really, I'm, I'm shocked. Got, wow, uh, wow, not yet. Well, okay. You know, yeah, it's tough wow. to actually get folks to to look at. Um, I mean, we can't even get reviewed. That's one of the frustrating parts. Are you parts, serious? You know, that, um, well, the like newspapers, whatever, they won't they won't review us because it's you, you know. And I'll even say, I'm like, we can take it. It's okay, you know. Review us, but or <laughs> oh, we're about half really? eighteen to twenty four, oh. and I say, you know, review the yeah. review the adult actors, but they they won't do this. So <laughs> you know, it's tough. Oh. It's a it's tough mm-hmm. to get you know, credibility, but I feel like we get pretty packed houses and audiences come mm-hmm. back. So that's, mm-hmm. that's what we're going for. Although we still do have a lot of tickets and we could really use that support because it's a great show. So Wanda, I yeah. hope your listeners decide mm-hmm. to go out there and, and buy some tickets and come support this work because, you know, we're seven years into making powerful, relevant theater with an ensemble of youth of color and and a lot of people talk about wanting those things in Oakland especially with this rampant gentrification but like put your butt in a seat show us that support like come through come watch the Mm -hmm. show yeah yeah that's really important oh wow okay well I have to make sure I get my you know don't procrastinate I'll write a review <laughs> oh, you, I didn't know you weren't wonderful. getting reviews. So yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. Fabulous. Ah, wow. Yeah, you all are definitely um even if you all are youth and adults, highly professional. Um okay. have have any of um of the youth actors in the past 7 years gone on, you know, to university to pursue um theater um as as a discipline and um, Yes. Have any have any gone on like you've seen them on, you know, as equity actors on some of the Bay Area stages or or stages elsewhere in the country? Not yet, but we're getting there mm-hmm. because most when we started, most of our actors mm-hmm. were like freshmen and sophomores, so they're just okay. sort of getting older now. We've got one actor, Deshaun Franklin, who's in training mm-hmm. for pro wrestling right now, which oh, is like. Wow. 
the sort of the theatrical pro wrestling, right? Which is basically um, unarmed stage combat is what you do oh. for pro wrestling. It's incredibly <laughs> athletic, but it's stage combat, mm-hmm. and that's amazing. So he's been in training for that and is about to start performing. We've got Joy Knighton, who's graduating from UC Santa Cruz this year with a degree in theater, and she's been working in the Bay and will be coming back from Santa Cruz and working with some local mm-hmm. theaters. We've got Aya Dominique, who's studying theater at Mills, and is currently performing with them and has done some staged readings around the Bay. We've got Robert Page, who co-wrote Caught Up with me for last Mm -hmm. year's show, and he is about to age out of our programming, but he and I are actually working on a new play for next fall. So, you know, he is a young emerging playwright, so that's also very exciting. Uh, so, yeah, we've definitely got some some rock star young adults emerging onto the theater scene in the next couple of years. So keep your eyes open. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So, Naja, um, what 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 brings you to theater, and and what if you if you um, are projecting like that? Um, how you know do you do you see yourself maybe pursuing this as as a career? Um, yes, I do see myself pursuing um, acting as a career. I got into mm-hmm. acting when I was about seven or eight, and I fell in love with mm-hmm. it, like, ever since then. And so I've always known that I've wanted to do this. Um, so I've just been training with Lindsay for the past two years um, after taking a break mm-hmm. from my previous theater. Um, I'm trying mm-hmm. to get back into theater more, so um, when I go off to college, I'll be ready for the theater in college. Right. Oh, nice. What's What's your other theater? You so you um you perform in <laughs> you perform um, in um Jersey City as well as another theater. Which What other theaters? Yes, the uh, Black Rep in Berkeley. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, nice. What have you been at the in at the Black Rep? Um, I've been in Princess and the and the Frog as Lewis, and I've been in The Wiz just as extras. That's when I was like super nervous back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, that's great. That's really great. Huh. Okay. Cool. Well, I totally look forward to um to seeing you all. Um, you know, um, I guess it's within two weeks now, right? That should be really, yep. really great. Uh, see what you Two weeks do with from that, tomorrow, uh, we play. open. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. We run May 16th through the 25th, so it's two weeks on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, the 16th, mm-hmm. 17th, 18th, 25, and then we also have a Sunday matinee on May 19th, as well as mm-hmm. a couple yeah. student matinees on Tuesday the 21st, and if if uh, we have a few spots left in our 9.30 a.m. student matinee on Tuesday, May 21st, so if there's any teachers out there listening, um, you know, they're probably teaching. So, you know, teachers, <laughs> if you hear this and you want to bring a class, we got room for one more class. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Well, congratulations to both of you, and I look forward to uh, seeing you in the theater. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Wanda. We really oh, appreciate you having us on. Yes. Oh, you're welcome. I'm Very thinking much. maybe I should do a maybe I should do a preview piece so make sure people don't miss it. So we'll talk about that off the air, Lindsay. 
Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, you're quite welcome. You take good care. Have a good rest of the morning. And happy May Day. You too, Wanda. <laughs> Thank you. Happy right. May Day. Sure. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Good morning, Jason Mendez. How are you? And congratulations. I am well. Good morning, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh man, I wish, I wish I had an opportunity to read some of your your graphic novels. You're just like so busy. And is this your <laughs> first? Um, is this your first play? Um, presently, that mm-hmm. you know is going up supremacy at uh, Ex- Exit Theater, um, May third, which is. Uh, two days from now, <laughs> it's going through May 18th, which is the day before Malcolm X's birthday, which is kind of perfect, right? You're talking about supremacy, and like, oh, wow, this is cool. Very much so, very much so. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be my uh, first full-length uh, production. Uh, okay. I've had some readings uh, staged at the exit, and then I've I've had uh, a short. A piece that was involved in the short-lived festival at Piano Fight. So yeah, this is oh. this is the first full-length production that that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm gonna I'll read your bio in a little bit, but uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit about 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 this work because you know it's it's taken from you know sort of looking at you know the Greek gods um, and and I'm thinking. Maybe I saw it at the 2017 San Francisco Olympian Festival. Um, was that the um, the same one that Joplin um, Richards had a piece in? Uh, I it it may be that that sounds about right. <laughs> it's, okay. It's been yeah. I, I've been in. It's been been a, a few years since we did the the staged reading uh, on this, so mm-hmm. a, a lot has. Uh, a few <laughs> things have changed since then. I don't want to give too much away, right. but there has been some changes mm-hmm. to it, and yeah. Okay, so so tell us about the story, and I just like wow, and tell us about the title. <laughs> it just really grabs you, you know, like okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I really like that, um, you know, that you are, um, you know, you're looking at Horus or Heru. Um, you know the uh, Egyptian mm-hmm. or the uh, kinetic, you know, god of the sky, and and Heru is like awesome. Oh my gosh, on horse Heru. <laughs> uh, if you're looking at, it. <laughs> yeah. So talk, tell us the story. What's the story about? Um, uh, and uh, and how did it come to you? Well, you know, um, the story really came about. Uh, because I I personally was just really moved and and really really bothered as I'm sure a, a lot of people were with all of the all of the videos and all of the images that were that we had been inundated with of uh, officer shootings uh, particularly of uh, young African American males and and women as well and. Um, I, I really was I was looking for a way to try and channel the emotions that I was feeling into something that was positive and be able to have a positive conversation around uh, those incidents. And what mm-hmm. I was finding was what I was finding was it was really hard to have those conversations because the the people that I were, was talking to they didn't 
like we didn't couldn't agree on just the value of a person's life never mind you know whether mm. you know whether you know uh whether the victim deserved to die whether they uh whether they committed you know perceivably a crime or not whether they made a mistake whether they didn't follow orders all these you know peripheral uh um excuses or 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 uh ideas we could not con- like agree on you know whether that person's life was valuable whether life is valuable enough that mm-hmm. our first instinct should not be to kill someone so i, I was looking to really try and and stir the conversation, steer it back to the idea that just look, life period is valuable. And um, I wondered what what would it be like if any one of those officers could have a conversation with uh, their victim, and away from the media, away from cameras, away from the rhetoric, just the officer and that victim, and what what would happen in that conversation and. And the story kind of started to to come out of that. Uh, I made a proposal for the Olympians Festival, and uh, uh, Stuart uh, Bussell was gracious enough to uh, look me in the eye and say, go ahead and do that. And um, it seemed like Horace Heru kind of seemed like the perfect uh deity to be able to to merge with that story and kind of dive in and delve into the modern experience of um, of a black american mm-hmm. huh. wow yeah yeah so so tell us a little bit about about horace k Ru, um for those that don't know don't know the deity tell us uh, a little bit about about his story well Horus is uh, the the falcon god, the god of the sky. Um, he has a very interesting family, and uh, his uh, father was actually uh, murdered by his uncle, which is Set. And um, after after his father is murdered and dismembered, his mother tries seeks. Uh, goes on a mission to basically uh, join all of the parts of his father back together in order to conceive uh, a son, which he then hides uh, as an infant um, until he is of age to be able to challenge his uncle for the throne, essentially. And from that moment on, Set and Horus kind of become these, these ultimate arch rivals in this constant battle back and forth and um, don't want to give too much away because a lot of that plays into the this particular story as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah his um uh, his mother um, is um, often uh, compared to um, um, to uh to Mary the the whole story is often seen as as the original uh tr- um uh virgin mother and mm-hmm. um and God you know giving birth to to a god child um in mm-hmm. the absence mm-hmm. of a man um uh you know sort of so we see um um 
I'm trying to think of the other name, um, uh, the comedic name for his mother. Um, but I can't think right at the moment. I'm like drawing a complete blank. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I. Um, yeah. That's right. There. I mean, there I know are, the other. Are, I know the other name is Isis, but that's not the one I'm thinking. Of. I mean, I want the other name, not the Greek name, but the the um, the kinetic name. Um, uh, yeah, because um, you know the father is is seen sort of as um, as like the uh, you know the god. So. Yeah, it's really interesting, and then and then you know having the reincarnation, you know, within that story is pretty pretty mm-hmm. interesting um, as well. Wow, oh, this is going to be so cool! Wow, this is going to be amazing. And I thought, I thought from what I was reading that because um, I, I didn't read the play in advance, I thought there was um, uh, one of your characters is um, is adopted, and 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 yes. he. Um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about 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 that character? Because he seems is he like the protagonist besides you know the policeman that has the conversation. Um, you know, there's sort of be like this adopted black youth who has lived his entire young life on flying under the radar, adhering mm-hmm. to the rules of the talk. Like what is the talk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what I what I wanted to do is I wanted to try and and and. Uh, present kind of a a different perspective on on what it's like to be black in America and and um, there the, our main character his name is Connor he is adopted and he's adopted by uh, white parents and that presented an opportunity to um, to really get into you know the notion of what it what is it like for white parents to try and raise a black youth, particularly in mm. today's society, and what are the things that they are suddenly, you know, very uh, suddenly confronted with very immediately um, that they may or may not be used to having to deal with on a daily basis. Um, and one of those is very much how does the world look at your child because suddenly you become very aware of that in a way that you may not have been before. Um, and the, the talk is, uh, you know, I, I think something that many, uh, many black Americans may uh, identify with, which is that uh, the talk of how do you handle yourself if you happen to be around a police officer, a police officer stops you and your parents aren't around. It's, it's the thing that, you know, black parents have to tell and teach their, their young kids um, the rules, uh, whether unstated or not, the rules that hopefully will keep them alive and help them survive uh, an, officer, um, uh, an officer encounter. Um, and... It's not really, it, it is quite literally meant to just keep them alive. It's, it's not about uh, preserving innocence. It's not about, um, you know, it, it's not about uh, being right or being wrong. It is literally just about getting them past that moment so that they can fight that fight later. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, I wanted to place uh, our lead into um, 
a family with white parents, do you find out what does that what does that conversation look like there, and in that context, and how how do they begin to even have that conversation? And it it it, it opened up um it opened up a, a lot of, of of different things. It opened up uh, some very different perspectives, and we were very very surprised and excited uh, where that took us. Um, uh, and where that took the characters and where that took the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I remember now. Um, uh, we've got Asar, uh, who will be um, the father, Haru's father, and Aset, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who is the wife. And um, and and then Set, uh, you know, is, is the uncle who's jealous of Asar and dismembers him. Um, and then, you know, the story goes... You know that she pulled together all these pieces, and and but the ultimate story is that love is the greater weapon, uh, because mm-hmm. Heyru mm-hmm. is like really, really like he's upset. Like, dude, Very you killed so. my dad. Like, what? I grew yeah. up without a father. Like, I'm you know in your in your play, you know, I'm I have foster parents. I mean, I have adopted parents. I'm not with my family. Like, I'm really mm-hmm. not with my family in the way you said it. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> so you know, so there's a lot of bitterness. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out on stage with your 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 you know with the cast. But um, and so you know, so you see the shift, and I'm thinking you know sort of um, historically with the character, you see the shift um, in the deity, you know, because there's also he has an aunt um, as well who is really close to his mother. And um, and uh, and these other advisors, you know, these, um, you know, what they call now OGs, but uh, <laughs> but you know, elders that that have sense, yeah. And and so they they say, you know, like you can't, because what happens in the in the uh, in the story, not your story necessarily, but the story of what happens in the battle is that um, when Heru or Horus allows himself to 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 feed on hate, it makes his opponent bigger and and, mm-hmm. and able to mm-hmm. subdue him but when he loves him he shrinks and mm-hmm. and so yeah and then the whole idea of vengeance and and uh and how forgiveness can come you don't have to not necessarily forgiveness but you you don't have to kill somebody you can let them go and still win the battle mm-hmm. which i think is pretty mm-hmm. cool too and i don't know how what you do with that either because i haven't made the play and i haven't seen the play <laughs> I will say you're 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 gonna have to come see it. I I will say oh, you I know am. Um, am. this <laughs> this 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 play this cast um it, it it's it's so phenomenal. Everyone that we have working on it, from the cast mm. to all of our designers, the crew, everyone has kind of has really jumped in and. Um, and not just to do the job, but to really open themselves up and be empathetic and sensitive to the material and to each other and what's going on. And because of that, that has really, really elevated the material and really brought in uh, the, that sense of, of empathy and that sense of, of like competing emotions because that's that's what's happening. I think that's what we're really mm-hmm. we're really talking about and we're really fighting for. Like how how are we able to exist and get back to a place where we you know where we can sit 
sit in the same room as somebody we don't agree with, where we can see people as more than one thing, where we can just, we can allow these emotions of anger and hate and rage to coexist with love and empathy and just understand that, you know, as people, we experience both. And, uh, and, and, and we don't need to wipe out one or the other. We just need to be able to understand that we experience them and then still make decisions that are not entirely based on them. And, and I, I, I think that's, that's the conversation we're, we're, that we're trying to have on stage. And, you know, and then it's, it's also a bit of a, a superhero story because I'm really into comics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how yeah. do we how do we do that on stage? And it's it's an it's an experience. I think from from the moment <laughs> you walk in the theater, it's going to be an experience. Cool, cool, super. So, um, is it all ages? Uh, it it is. There there are a couple of of choice uh, words in the play. Um, mm-hmm. I say that uh, for the most part, it. It is all ages. Um, I say for parents that are bringing young children, um, mm-hmm. it's at their discretion. You will have to have a conversation um, probably before or after um, about the material be- because of, of what happens in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you... Um reading your bio fondly. Uh, <laughs> you are a content creator making your debut as a writer uh, with this, this this piece, this work um, at the exit. And you know the power of voice, striving to challenge and complicate social narratives by making space for un- and underrepresented, un- underrepresented experiences. Your written work ranges from commission readings for the San Francisco Olympics, Olympians Festival to the graphic novels you that have let's see, graphic novels and you have previously worked with Netflix on the set of Thirteen Reasons Why. And you hold a master's of fine arts degree in playwriting from San Francisco State University. So, um, tell us about um well, the first question I had was, um, does this play in any way resonate with you personally? Um, because you say you know the power of voice, striving to challenge and complicate social narratives by making space for un- and underrepresented experiences. Um, do you find the work, I mean, I'm thinking supremacy for sure is not a story that one sees often. <laughs> Has, I mean, I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen a story, uh, you know, like what we're talking about. So I'm thinking, oh, this is so exciting. I'm so happy that, you know, you have written this this. Um, work and 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 that is going up um this week so that's really exciting um but what brings you to to this kind of work and uh, and then i want you to you know let us know about this 13 reasons why and and why did you decide to go into playwriting (laughs) well um yeah you know i uh the work is something uh personal for me there are I definitely drew on some of my personal experiences for certain aspects and certain scenes of of the play. Um, 
and then you know also like i said it's you know the subject matter that we're talking about in the play and that in the conversation we're trying to have is also a very a very personal um conversation because i you know i, I am an african-american i you know every time that i um that i get pulled over or i get stopped or i'm in the vicinity of an officer i i have that slight you know voice in the back of my head that that says okay you know be on guard um you know, be careful. Uh, watch, watch what you are doing, and watch what they're doing. And, and, you know, all these all these uh, rules come up um, because I I could easily be um, just like the next the next person that's on one of the videos that we've seen. Um, there's mm-hmm. been times in my life where I have been stopped when I, particularly when I was younger, and I didn't I didn't even realize how close I could have come to to being a victim in that moment. Um, and so, yeah, you know, like those, those things hit, hit very close to home uh, for me. And, and the fact that, you know, life is, life is lost and, and there seems to be something that just doesn't sit well with me about that. Um, in any case, whether, you know, whether, not just, you know, from police violence, but, you know, just violence in general in this country and how we talk about it, it just doesn't sit well with me. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it, it's personal. Um, but I'm, I, I really tried very hard to um, be objective about it and to be fair to all of the characters and all of the perspectives that we are presenting uh, in the play. And, and I think that we succeeded at that. Mm-hmm. So, what was your your master's thesis? Um, actually, my my master's thesis uh, was uh, it it is basically what became the template for uh, the graphic novel that I am working on, which is oh. called uh, Artemis Rising. Um, in my master's oh. thesis, the original version was a or is a uh, a six part epic uh play and it's meant it's meant to be viewed in in pieces so you know one one week you're viewing uh part one the next week you're viewing part two and so on um mm-hmm. so it's meant to be consumed in in a way that's very uh you know not dissimilar to watching uh like something on hbo uh so yeah, and then I decided I I, le- I loved that story so much that I uh, took that and adapted it to a graphic novel. And maybe maybe one day we might we might uh, see Artemis Rising on stage as well. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So um um oh, what's your website so people can 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 get your your graphic novels? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the website is Jason Mendez uh, with a Z Studios dot com, mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah, all of all of my information is there. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. When you were talking about um, the, um, um, you know, having a multiple um, a, a multiple um, 
storied uh, play, you know, sort of scene in, um, you know, one per week, you know, across, you know, a month and a half. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It sort of reminded me. Hmm? Say it again. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't hear what you said. You said something. Oh, I. No, I didn't. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I was thinking about um, the director, not black director, but the playwright, um, uh, Unfaniso uh, Udofia, Udofia, who has, um, she is, I think she's in number five of um, of her, her play about, about the Ufuk family, um, an immigrant mm-hmm. family from uh from Nigeria, uh, Ibu family, and uh, two of her her plays um, premiered in the Bay Area at the Magic Theater, uh, Run Boy Run, and um, and uh, what was the other one called? Run Boy Run and Sojourner. Uh, was it Sojourner? Yes, yeah, Sojourners. And then um, the last one was at the Magic uh, in Old Age, and then there was another one at the. Um, um, at ACT, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce the name of it because it's in French. <laughs> um, and I was just thinking, like, wow, that would be so cool. You could do something really similar um, if you ever decide to to do that. That would be really cool. Um, yeah, and, and I was looking um, that you have a play. It was a few years ago, and it was called, uh, it, was, it was a stage reading called The White Listed. You have these great titles, The White Listed. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that looked really good. Did you ever did you ever mount that anywhere? I I did not. Um, what essentially what happened is I uh, after the reading of that, uh, I kind of really went into working on uh, the proto versions of, of supremacy. So, mm-hmm. um, so no, I I, I I didn't mount it anywhere. But I, I still would like to. I am now going back to it and kind of touching up and adding a little bit of, of commentary that I wanted to add to it. So um, I, I definitely want to do it, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that uh, mm. in conjunction with uh, there, there's a few other projects that I have been commissioned to work on, and so I'll be doing mm. that as mm. well. And, you know, I'm hoping, you know, if, if supremacy does as well as I'm hoping it, I, that it does, there may mm-hmm. or may not be uh, a, a sequel or something else that happens in, in the same universe because it's just, this is a comic book after all. <laughs> yeah, and we got superheroes, so yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I just find the premise of um, of the whitelisted um you know, in, in 2016, five years before she was born, Aurora's father mm-hmm. helped an African-American scientist develop a cure for racism. It stro- destroyed the American society. <laughs> like, wow, yeah. this is pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I had, I had a really <laughs> good time uh, writing that and, and presenting it. It, it definitely... Uh, after reading, I think it, it, it challenged, um, definitely challenged a lot about how we think about racism and 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 what that even just like what that word means and what language means and 
you know, kind of also the the way that um, the way that things tend to uh, work in America, and particularly uh, in terms of like pharmaceuticals, and you know how as soon as you invent something, then uh, it's it's either banned or outlawed, and if it, if that can't be done, then then it becomes uh, monetized. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. Well, definitely, um, you know, keep me posted on on your work because, um, yeah, you um, you've done some really wonderful work, and uh, and I couldn't Thank find you. your you. your website. So tell me again what's your website? Because um, I've been putting your name in as we've been talking, trying to like find you, and I'm like, it's not working. Um, so tell me again. Sure, um, sure. Is is your name? Yeah. So it's Jason Mendez. Studios. Oh, studios. That's the part I'm missing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because that's really weird that it wouldn't come up when I just put your name in. Like, why doesn't it know you? Um, to send me to I, your studios, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. I'm, I'm not. Mhm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Super. Alrighty. So, um, the last question. Um, so what brings mm-hmm. you to to this work? Uh, actually, I mean, life, you know, I, I, it's kind of, I kind of feel that, I kind of feel that, uh, the work found me, you know, um, it, it, it's a story that wanted to be told. I think even, even writing in general and playwriting, I'm, I'm very much, I've always been a fan of performance art and, um, you know, I, I, I believe in, in uh, adding new voices and adding new experiences to the discourse. And I, I think um, anyone who has the ability and the potential to make space for uh, those, those narratives to be seen and read and heard, then we should make the space uh, for that. Because if we don't, no one else is going to, to make that space. And so... Yeah, you know, I, I I believe I feel like I have a duty to to do that, to present that. And you know, stories I love stories, I love telling them, I love hearing them. And um I think, you know, the stories that, that are just begging to be to be presented are the ones that I tend to also gravitate towards. And yeah, I just I know what it means to have an oral an oral history and to have a, a a something that that speaks to you and that resonates with you and something that um, that you can say yeah I, I understand that particular experience um, and I think we we need more of that. Mhm. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. Um, and what's your ancestry? You have a um, a Latin surname. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I actually, uh, my ancestry is actually I'm uh, African American, and then um, I'm also a bit of Irish, uh, actually. And uh, the surname uh, actually is my uh, wife's uh, family name. When I got married, I actually took her name. Oh, that's heck cool! Really. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I, I've heard of that happening, but it's been so few and far between. I think you're like the second person I've ever heard do that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. 
Nice, nice, nice. Oh, that's great. So I guess you call yourself a feminist, huh? Um, you know, I, I, sure. I, I mean, I, I do. Or womanist, um, if I, you but, like, if you like the way Alice Walker uh, defines it. I, I actually like womanist <laughs> better, um, because feminist often involves like not liking men, but womanist encompasses, you know, loving men, but also wanting to further the agenda of of equality and justice for everyone. Yeah, that's yeah. That's but better. anyway. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's also okay. you know, I I, I also like I, I have to have the caveat right because I know that this it's always a it's always a thing when when people realize that that's how that happened they're like oh, and it's like yes I I do, um, I, I'm very much for equality. Mm-hmm. However, that decision was just it was really a personal decision that worked for myself and my wife and, and our family it it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't you know to make any kind of statement although like it may but that that was not the the main reason and that wasn't the goal mm-hmm. right yeah oh cool cool well congratulations again on supremacy and um yeah looking forward to other conversations this was really lovely thank you so much jason well thank you for having me i really appreciate it All right. You take good care. Look forward to seeing you in the theater. (laughs) Thank you. You as well. (laughs) All right. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye. Good morning, Lisa. How are you? Good morning, Wanda. Very well. How about yourself? I'm fine. Now, how do you say your last name? I can't figure it out. Gadoldig. Yeah, tell us about it. 
Mm-hmm. I started That's a right. monthly comedy show at Ashkenaz in Berkeley about a year and a half ago, and some months are theme months, and our show next mm. Thursday on May 9th is leading up to Mother's Day, so it's a Mother's Day comedy show. And we have a lineup of Bay Area comedians who are also mothers, Diane Amos, Corinda Dobbins, Emily Van Dyke is a mother to a newborn, so I'm sure she's going to have a lot mm-hmm. of material from her month experience as a mom. And Brandy Brandis, who's the executive director of Ashkenaz, is a mother to a fabulous six-year-old, and she's going to be making her comedy debut. And then I'm a de facto Jewish mother. I don't have any kids that I know of. <laughs> but <laughs> I love saying that. It's something that only men can say. <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> It started, somebody once asked me on a plane if I had any kids, and I said, not that I know of, so I decided to start using that in comedy here and there, because it's just mm-hmm. so absurd for a woman to say that. So, right, um, yeah, yeah. So this is a lineup of fabulous comedians who are also mothers. Um, it's right before Mother's Day, so it's uh, a Mother's Day comedy show. We do a show, a show there every second Thursday of the month, and it's always a mm-hmm. nice mix of people in the audience from all over the East Bay primarily who are coming out to hear some uh, intelligent and funny comedy. And you've been there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have. I have. It's really, really nice. And um, and let me see. Um, Well, you know, well, okay, it's um, 8 to 9.30, and uh, Mm -hmm. the doors open at 7.30, and the show starts at 8.00. And tickets are fifteen to twenty dollars sliding scale, and you can get them at the um, Ashkenaz um, website. And Ashkenaz is is located right on the corner of um, San Pablo and Gilman in Berkeley. Do you know the actual address, uh, Lisa? Yeah, it's one three one seven San Pablo, and there's plenty of free parking in the REI parking lot just across the street. Mm-hmm. And You can come in and get something to eat, get something to drink. You can get tickets online beforehand or at the door. We say 15 to 20 sliding scale, so whatever you feel like paying. And uh, we have little cocktail tables of three and four chairs, and it's just a nice environment. Um, They hadn't had a comedy show there, and I started this one, like I said, about a year and a half ago, and we're doing it monthly, and it's working. Um, Diane Mm -hmm. Amos is on the bill. She's a local... A well-known actress, improv artist, comedian, and she's also known as the Pine Saw Lady because she's on their TV commercials for over 20 years. Uh, Corinda Dobbs, Dobbins is originally and, and she's from also Detroit. and she's also an African American um, uh, mm-hmm. comedian, and uh, and she was actually um, on my show um, mm-hmm. maybe a year ago, um, mm-hmm. or so something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah Two of the women on mm-hmm. the bill are African-American, uh, both Diane Amos and Corinda Dobson, who's an mm-hmm. um, African-American, lesbian comedian, mother, Detroit native. She's open mm-hmm. for Dave Chappelle, Trevor Noah. She's fabulous. And, um, yeah, so it's uh, always trying to have a multicultural bill and uh, usually a mix of men and women, but since it's Mother's Day comedy, it's uh, all women comedians this month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, tell us about Emily. yeah, you can tell us about Emily Van Dyke. I was reading that 
She's originally from the Midwest, and she loves pools and telling inappropriate stories at barbecues. <laughs> <laughs> and like I yeah, said earlier, my, she's the mother of a, mm-hmm. a newborn, so she has a three- or four-week-old uh, child. So when mm-hmm. I had booked her for the show, she was not yet mm-hmm. a mother, but I knew oh. that she was going to have a lot of mother material once the show came. Mm-hmm. And then, as I right. said earlier, so we have actually three yeah. comedians from the Midwest, Corinda, Emily, and Brandy. And mm-hmm. uh, Diane originally hailed from Indianapolis and then moved with her lesbian moms to San Francisco mm-hmm. when she was a teenager and then grew up in San Francisco. So it's actually a lot of people originally from the Midwest who found their way to San Francisco, as did a lot of us finding our ways to San Francisco. Yeah. So did you did you find your way to uh, San Francisco from somewhere else, or were you already here? No, I grew up in New York, and when I was 20, I was taking time off from college, working on a farm in Vermont, waiting tables, trying to figure out what to do next. And I came out here for three weeks, and I never left. So I've been here mm. for about 36, <laughs> 37 years. It's one of those $99 flights on one of the cheap airlines. And it was January, mm. and it was T-shirt weather, and I was in California, which was such a mecca growing up in New York. It was this make-believe world that I never imagined I would get to. And I, mm-hmm. at the time, you could sell your return ticket back to the airlines, all these mm. things you could do, like, you know, have people meet you at the gate and all this stuff that we used to be able right. to do. Right, those were the nice days when people could meet you at the gate. Yeah. And and they didn't right. close the doors until, like, you could be running down there and they would close the doors. They wouldn't close the doors mm-hmm. 30 minutes before takeoff. Mm-hmm. They would close the doors as soon as the last person was on. And Yeah, and so, you could practically do anything at the time. Mm-hmm. I once yeah. brought a... Uh, <laughs> a plug-in light-up uh, porcelain goose to bring to have a friend see it when she came through the gate, and I just put it through the uh, security, like no problem. Can you imagine putting that through security now? Yeah, I'm just carrying a goose with me to the gate to meet a friend. Yeah, all kinds of things you can't, can no longer do. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. And this particular series that you you know you host at at Ashkenaz, um, would you say every um, every second Thursday of each month? Correct. Right. Yeah. You've also um, created, producer, and MC of of uh, the show uh, Kung Pao Kosher Comedy, um, mm-hmm. uh, Jewish comedy uh, on Christmas in a Chinese restaurant which celebrates its 27th year in 2009. I remember when you started that, not, or yeah. I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I remember this like for a while. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Like wow. It was an accident. Yeah, I think yeah, it was. It was. In 1993, I had just performed in Massachusetts. I thought I was going to a comedy club called Peking Garden Club, and I got there at a Chinese restaurant. And then mm-hmm. uh, after this, I had a conversation with a friend about the irony of telling Jewish jokes at a Chinese restaurant, and we came up with the mm-hmm. crazy idea of doing a Jewish comedy event on Christmas in a Chinese restaurant. And I thought I would do it once, and it mm-hmm. sold out. We had a line of people around the block <laughs> trying to get in, and then <laughs> I just created what's you know, become an annual event with all these big headliners uh, over the years, mm-hmm. Henny Youngman, Elaine Boozler, 
Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I branched out from that. And then also I'm going to be doing a Pride Comedy Night at Freight and Salvage on oh. Sunday, June 23rd. Marta Gomez, mm-hmm. Samson McCormick, Irene Chu, and myself mm-hmm. um, the night before mm-hmm. at the Kumbla in Santa Cruz, if anyone is listening in that area. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just oh, uh, nice. one from column A, one from column B. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, and then you have um, Comedy Returns to El Rio. It's in its 11th year. Is it El Rio in San Francisco? Yes, that's also something mm-hmm. I thought I would do for a few months, and it's been 10 years. So um, <laughs> Friday, May 17th, we're having our 10th anniversary show at 7 o'clock, mm-hmm. and we'll have some food and a lineup of fabulous comedians, including Ngaio Bielam, who maybe has been on your show, African-American comedian from the Bay Area. And um, mm-hmm. so that's that mission at Presida in San Francisco. And you can get information on all of the shows at Kosher comedy.com and then you just click on more and find out about these other shows. So yeah, I've been doing the Kung Pao Crucial Comedy for 27 years, Comedy Returns to Oreo for 10 years. Um, it's called Comedy Returns to Oreo because in the 80s and 90s there was a comedy show there on Wednesdays and I brought it back, but um, mm-hmm. I just thought, again, that was going to be brief, but 10 years later. And then the Ashkenaz show has been on for a year and a half. And just, you know, random other shows. So you can, if, if someone's listening and wants to keep an eye on what we're doing or get on the mailing list, just go to koshercomedy.com. Kosher with a K and comedy with a C. Mm-hmm. Right, so. yeah. Yeah, well, I know I know you have to run, but um, as you run, tell us sort of the appeal of comedy, um, you know, philosophically for you. I mean, I can't think of anyone that's producing so many comedy shows for such tenure, right? I mean, it's like, wow, oh, thank you. Well, Whoa. well, there's, there's <laughs> this wonderful experience about having a bunch of strangers coming together and laughing about something collectively mm-hmm. in the dark, you know, and, and and comedy is sort of a relationship and a chemistry between the comedian and the audience because we both have to do our part. You know, you can have a fabulous comedian who the audience, for some reason, that night has just decided they're not going to laugh, and it might be a struggle, um, you know. And then it's just with all the garbage going on now, we need comic relief, and it's good to get out and get away from the news and get away from social media and uh, get a comedian's perspective on whether or not it's politics or relationships or just observational humor. It's just really good therapeutically, um, I find, for both myself as a comedian and as, as an audience member. So it's it's comedy therapy these days. Comedy therapy. <laughs> well, you know, they talk about how laughter is the best cure, right? Like it makes, Absolutely. like it literally makes people well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, people should come on, you know, and get, get their therapy on and, you know, much yeah, less expensively. Yeah, I used to run a comedy, we called it the Comedy Clinic at a nursing home in mm. San Francisco, the Jewish home. Uh, and oh, uh, Comedy Clinic, we had nice. This, yeah, so we basically had this class once a week, and all these people in their 80s and 90s would come to class and do improv exercises and laugh and get away from their troubles and pains and just act silly, and it was really healing. So it mm-hmm. started it. Um, with a, a grant from 
for my event, Kung Pao Push Comedy, because I give money away to different organizations each year. And then the nursing home administrators loved the class so much that they kept it going for a decade. And it was just a really wonderful part of their schedule of what people would really look forward to. And, and the, the way they, we started this class was the medical director discovered that a good portion of the population of the residents were asking for sleeping pills and asked them why. And because after their early dinner at maybe 5 o'clock, they didn't have anything to do. So they decided to mm. institute evening programs um, like music and this comedy clinic. And then they found that the percentage of people asking for sleeping pills dramatically decreased because people had things to do, but they didn't realize originally the reason why so many people were asking for the sleeping pills. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it, wow. was, it, was, it, was, it was therapy in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. both you know, oh, laughter yeah. and you know, staying awake and not mm-hmm. <laughs> taking medicine to go to sleep. Yeah, exactly. When you're not ill, you don't need to take medicine to sleep away your mm-hmm. life. But then, if you're bored, then you mm-hmm. know what else? What are you gonna? What What is the reason to stay awake? Right? It's almost like right. why should I stay alive? Almost. Yeah, yeah. That's really great. So, how does one uh, have a career in comedy? Like, what schools do you recommend? <laughs> well, what I recommend to people is that they just keep notes, you know, whether or not it's in a notebook or an iPhone or iPad or your computer and just start going to comedy and watching it and then get up the nerve to go to uh, an open mic. You know, there there is a there are comedy schools around that don't necessarily um, think that people need to go to a comedy school to learn, but um, I, I think just learning on the job, you know, just if you're with, if you think that things that you say are funny, your friends are laughing. Just start writing them down, and then little by little, um, start putting an act together and go watch comedy, and then get up the nerve to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that how you did it? Yes, yeah. There, there is a comedy college in San Francisco that um, you, know, you can just Google comedy college and get the information. I don't have the details off the top of my head. But um, you can do either approach, you know, go to a class. Um, and then improv is really good. I go to a drop-in improv class at Fort Mason uh, that exists every Saturday. It's been going on for about 35 years. And improv is great because it just loosens you up in any aspect of your life. And it definitely helps me on stage to roll with the punches and also just in life to roll with the punches. You know, and you don't know what's going to happen in improv and you don't know what's going to happen in life either. So um, right. if, if someone who's listening is interested in learning about doing that, you can uh, just go online and find a local improv class or um, on a Saturday at 1 o'clock to a class at Fort Mason in Building C. And just look on the schedule and you don't have to sign up ahead of time. It's $20 for a three-hour class and it's very welcoming to newcomers and people have been coming and going at that class for about 35 years. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, because, um, yeah, um, you know, having, you know, some theater is also helpful, right? Um, mm-hmm. As, uh, mm-hmm, okay, yeah. Cool, super. Well, I don't want to keep you because I know you said you needed to go and I've already kept you, but thank no, you so no, thank much. thank you so um, much for attending. Yeah, so if anyone's interested, oh. uh, next Thursday at Ashkenaz, 
Thursday, May 9th at 8 p.m., Ashkenaz, San Pablo, and Gilman in Berkeley. And the following Friday, the 17th at 7 o'clock at El Rio on mission at Presida in San Francisco. And koshercomedy.com has all the details. And Wanda, let me know if you want to come to any of the shows. Okay. Yeah, I do want to come uh, next Thursday. <laughs> uh, next Thursday. Yeah, I really, really enjoy yeah, I do enjoy your show. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Great. You'll be cool. on conference. Okay. All right. Thanks thank for you. having me. All right. You take good okay. care. Oh, you're welcome. Have a good rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Happy May Day. Bye. <laughs> All righty. So um, today is the opening um, ceremony celebration of the Older American Month uh, art exhibit and um, information on day downtown Oakland, um, Franco Gawa Plaza on uh, 14th and Broadway. There's free lunch, really nice lunch, a lot of information booths, and the art exhibit is in the uh, Lionel um, um, Wilson um, building, which is right catacorner to the um, to City Hall. And so that starts at 10. I think it was like 10 to 2, 10 to 1, something like that. So that's going to be really cool, and um, the um, the play uh, "How I Learned What I Learned" uh, at Ubuntu Theater Company. It's up through Sunday uh, at the um, um, at uh, Mills College in Oakland, and so performances are at 7 p.m. So tonight, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, skip Saturday, and Sunday. There's two shows, two and seven, um, at a sort of a theater I've never been to before. <laughs> so you just um, it's it's right through the center of campus, and then uh, through this um, um, this theater center, art center. The only problem is the sign is blocked by a um, a solar generator. So when you see the solar generator. Look around that, and you'll see the sign. You just walk through, and you'll see the theater. Because we had some trouble figuring it out, and we got a lift which from from uh, the police who was in a car. So that was really nice because we were learning later. We couldn't figure it out. But Stephen Anthony Jones is awesome as August Wilson, and the story August Wilson's story is just like wow. It is simply phenomenal. Um, let me uh, let me read you what I wrote. Um, August Wilson, playwright, was very much at home in the San Francisco Bay Area. I will never forget his workshop production of Jitney at Lorraine Hansberry Theater, where he encouraged a woman who criticized the absence of substantive women characters in his plays to write her own. Wilson said his journey was personal, yet there was room on the stage for multiple voices and perspectives. His relationship with Stanley F. Williams and Quentin Easter at Lorraine Hansberry Theater, his support of black theater and his playwrights formalized in a legendary speech June 26, 1996 at the 11 uh, Benanel Theater Communications Group International Conference at Princeton might have slowed if not saved a few independent centers across the country. Legendary houses like the Negro Ensemble Theater where Stephen Anthony Jones cut his teeth. It is amazing that Wilson had no formal, formal theater training yet was called to write the story of an African-American people with dignity and respect. He mentions in How I Learned What I Learned that an artist reaches an arc 
where the medium is exhausted and it's time to move on. He tells the story of John Coltrane coming out of a club after a concert and asking a young artist to teach him something new. The young musician said he was still practicing scales, to which Coltrane encouraged him to keep practicing and moved on. Jones is the consummate storyteller, too. If you saw his third good, also directed by Margot Hall, then you know that his timing is impeccable and cues tight. With a minimized set, desk, coat rack, easel for some for scene cues, we are carried away by characters and incidents as, as captivating as any created in Wilson's imagination. How I Learned is insight into the birthplace of some of the more familiar of, of some of the familiar terrain covered in Wilson's century cycle. Though all the personal and professional through all the personal and professional slights. Wilson speaks of human dignity, a principle learned from his mother, whom he shares, wins a washing machine in a game show. When the hosts learn she is a black woman, they refuse her the prize. Instead, they want to give her a certificate for a used washer from the Salvation Army. She refuses, saves up her money, and buys her own. Young Wilson hangs out with a drug dealer, dates a married woman, loses his poetry, is in way over his head most of the time, yet has a guardian angel on his shoulder and comes to no harm. His rite of passage is jail. However, he calls an attorney friend to ask for advice before he inadvertently breaks the law. The lawyer leaves out an important detail. This play, a multiple theater production, Marin Theater Company, had a run, the Rand Hansard Theater had a run, and now Ubuntu Theater Project closes this run Sunday, May 5th at Mills College, Rothwell Theater Center, um, 5000 MacArthur Boulevard in Oakland. Shows are seven, as I mentioned, Thursday, Friday, with two shows Sunday, two and seven. For tickets and information, call Ubuntu Theater at 510-646-1126 or visit Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, Theater, T-H-E-A-T-E-R, project.com. Tickets are paid what you can for all shows. Stephen Anthony Jones needs more black people in the house. You will not be disappointed. Take a youth with you. And Jones is capable and skilled hands. The show is funny, surprising, and compelling. How I Learned is an important American American history. Thanks so much for visiting, joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Tune in Friday, same time, 8 to 10. Peace and blessings, and visit WandasPicks.com.